rest of us, let's turn to uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and this is uh, Memorial Day weekend, and of course, uh, Memorial Day is an American holiday. It's a time when we remember those that have served in the armed services, those that have put their lives on the line, and uh, it's it's a hard thing to uh, really grasp sometimes, but... uh, uh, there, there are nearly as many service men and women killed in the service in peacetime as in wartime, uh, because the work that they do, the training that they go through, is extremely dangerous, and, and there are all kinds of accidents that happen, and and we want to. Uh, commemorate and celebrate those that have served and those that have given their lives so that we could be free. Uh, if one of the neat things or most wonderful things about being an American is all you have to do is choose to be a part. You can be born anywhere on the face of this earth. You can have any last name ending in any a set of uh, consonants or vowels that uh, you uh, were given at your birth, and you can be an American. And it's still amazing to me as much bad uh, press is in the in the world today, as many people condemn America. Uh, you know what? They're not beating the borders down to get into Russia today, are they? Uh, Does Saudi Arabia have a long list of people wanting to immigrate? Uh, How about Iran or Iraq? Uh, Are there people wanting to go there? Uh, How many people want to go to Mexico? Only if they're coming to the United States. Uh, I challenge you. There's a reason why people want to come to the United States. I remember getting into a conversation uh, several years ago with a man, and he was very negative and and, uh, about America and what it does and how oppressive we are and how we send our soldiers all over the world to kill people. And, And I said, then why are you here? And he looked at me. I said, no, no. I said, you're saying all of these bad things about America, and yet obviously you have chosen to move here and to live here. I want to know why. And he wouldn't answer me. I said, I'll tell you why. It's because the country you were born in, and it was an Islamic country, does not give you the freedom to earn the money and live the kind of life you want to live. And I said, so you're going to come here and you're going to earn your money and you're going to live the kind of life you want to live and you're going to curse us for giving you the freedom to do what you want to do. Does that make sense? It wasn't a real positive conversation, but sometimes we need to stop these people who would simply curse this country for no other reason 
then that's what everybody else is doing. Hello. And I'm not here as an apologist for America. I don't think America needs apologizing for. You see, America has sent soldiers all over this world. And everywhere Americans have fought on the battlefield, people have been set free. They have more freedom in Iraq today since American soldiers went over there than they have had since the days of Nebuchadnezzar. Study your history. You cannot argue that point. There is more personal freedom there. Why? Why do Americans get so wound up about freedom? I think it was um, either General or Admiral Howe, I can't remember which one, during the Revolution came to Boston to uh, begin to try to quell the Revolution. And And his statement was, it seems that freedom is in the air that these people breathe. Even the little children talk about freedom. And of course... You, you need to study that history. English citizens in all the world had great freedom at that point, except in the colonies. The king had sent troops here. And how would you like a knock at your door? And... Seven or eight soldiers are standing at the door and they're saying, we're going to live in your house. We're going to eat your food. You're going to feed us. You're going to wash our clothes. You're going to take care of us. You're going to give us the best beds. You're going to take... And and we're staying until we decide to leave. How many of you would put up with that? You'd say, I'm an American. I have rights. They weren't Americans. They were Englishmen at that point. And the king, at his women fancy, had chosen to take away those rights and privileges... And he had the power to do so. And that's one of the reasons why there was a revolution. Don't believe the foolish people who say it was a group of of economists who were trying to make money for themselves. Capitalists. Capitalism is, I mean, oh my, my. We live in a world of foolishness. Why is it always the smartest people in the room say the most foolish and ignorant things? Have you ever noticed that? Uh, You see, we are wrapped up in freedom because we believe in a God that gives freedom. It was a radical unheard of thought. In England, they laughed when the Declaration of Independence showed up before Parliament and the King and it had a phrase in there. It said, we believe that all men are created equal. They could not believe that any thinking person would make that statement because no Englishman believed that. They believed in the divine right of kings. 
uh, not everyone, but that was a cardinal British doctrine that God had engrafted special wisdom and power into the line of kings. And they were made to rule people. And the house of lords was made up of lesser kings that God had given special power to rule over certain portions. And that's how the British Isles and the British Kingdom was controlled. To say that the common man was equal with the king, that was blasphemy. And I know we had problems here. It took a civil war to straighten that entire thing out. And yet, we still have people who have problems with prejudice and hatred of other people because of their language and their color and their last names and the way they dress and all of these things. But Americans have been wrapped up in freedom because the principle of freedom is part of knowing who God is. It was Jesus that said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen? It was Jesus said, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. You know, I have to stop and think and would like for us to take a moment before we get into the actual sermon this morning to just think about how many people have moved to New York City over these years to be free. I'm going to be free from mom and dad. And I'm going to be free from all the rules. And I'm going to be free to do whatever I want till the money runs out. Then you're not so free anymore. New York City is not a nice place to live when you don't have money. Now, isn't it? Well, you know what? You can get money in New York City. Get lots of it. All you have to do is sell drugs, sell your soul. They say there's a light on Broadway for every broken heart. That that would be almost funny if it weren't absolutely so true. How many people have sold their souls to try to get their name in lights? Try to get that 15 minutes of fame. 15 minutes isn't worth it, my friend. You see... Jesus offers a freedom that lasts for all eternity. A freedom that is not taken away even if you're put in a prison cell. Read the story of the life of the Apostle Paul. A freedom that cannot be legislated out of existence. And a freedom the IRS can't tax. Isn't that wonderful news? Jesus offers a freedom... Not to do whatever I want, but to be a blessing to those around me. Our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, was no 
lover of this book called the Bible. In fact, they have his Bible in a museum somewhere. And he went through that Bible and cut it up, took passages that he didn't think belonged in there and cut it out of his Bible. I think that's why Bill Clinton wanted to use it when he was inaugurated. I'm not sure about that, but uh, somebody ought to check that. Uh, I'm pretty sure he used Bill Clinton's Bible. I mean, uh, Bill Clinton used Thomas Jefferson's Bible, and it may have just been because it was missing a lot of stuff. I don't know. Uh, But the uh, getting back to our story, this our truth this morning. When Thomas Jefferson penned the words, the pursuit of happiness, what he was talking about was being a willing participant in society to make society more free for everyone who wished to be involved in society. He was trying to, in those few words, Make sure that he did not use the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That was the truth he was trying to embody. Because that's the society that these founders of this country realized that if they would embrace the the principles of this book called the Bible, they could have a society where people could actually be free. Where they could raise the level... I get so sick of hearing that it's a closed system. That there are only so much, uh, there's only so much food that can be produced. There's only so much that is here. And when it's all used up, it's all going to be gone. That's not true. We could still grow enough wheat in Kansas to feed the whole world. But we're paying farmers not to raise food because if they did, the price of wheat would be so cheap that they couldn't afford to raise it and all these other complicated things. So, as we think about those that gave their life, we're going to get to a passage this morning. Let's, in fact, let's go there right now. Let's start in verse 9 of John chapter 15, and let's read this very carefully this morning. Verse 9, John chapter 15. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. 
These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, Jesus uttered these words as they were leaving the upper room on the night he was betrayed and heading toward the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus told the disciples, he said, I want you to continue in my love. He said, the Father, talking about God the Father, has loved me. And he said, I have loved you. Jesus said, what I got from God the Father, I have passed on to you. And now I want you to continue and take that love that has come from the Father and pass it on to other people. You know, it's hard to believe that the God of love is blamed for so much hate that goes on in this world. Churches have fought wars with other churches. Now, I I am glad to tell you that you're in a Baptist church today and that all true Baptists who are worthy of the name have never taken arms to fight for the cause of religion. That has never happened in the history of the Baptist church. Now, no other church can make that claim. The Protestant churches were born in a time of war, fighting with the Catholics. And the Catholic church has waged as many wars as the, uh, re, in its heyday in the Middle Ages as the religion of Islam is raging today in its heyday or its, its high point. And, and these religions were born of war and, and all of these things. The Baptists have never believed that physical violence was a way to propagate the gospel. Now, you'll always find some idiots who will use the name Baptist, and, but you'll find out this. That's not the only thing they're lying to you about. And we'll just leave that there. You see, Jesus gave us some commandments here. He said, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And we've tried, I have tried so many times from this pulpit to explain what love truly is. Sometimes it's easier to explain what it isn't. Love is not a warm, gushy feeling inside. Love is not just simple emotion. Love demands action, does it not? Uh, Love demands activity. Love demands a change uh, in behavior. If there is love, things cannot continue as they are. Isn't it true? If a young man pledges his love to a young lady 
and then turns around five minutes later and plunges his love to another young lady and then five minutes later finds another young lady and pledges his love in in a third and fourth and fifth direction, what would we say about that young man? Number one, he's a liar, right? Number two, he doesn't know what love is. And number three, he must think an awful lot of himself. Isn't that true? Now, is love thinking a lot about yourself? Or is love thinking a lot about the person you're expressing your love toward? Hello? You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, Jesus said, verse 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And then he makes a statement. He says it in verse 10, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. How are you going to know that you love Jesus? And I, I wish I had a dollar uh, for every person that just put their hand, Oh, I just love Jesus. I've always loved Jesus. If I just had one dollar for every person that told me that, we wouldn't have taken offering for the rest of the year. I mean, everybody loves... But here Jesus says, if ye love me, what? Keep my commandments. He said, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my Love. Now, what, what is his commandments? Well, his commandments are to love one another. To love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I could, um, it's not the greatest illustration, but it is certainly one of the better ones. A, a living story of a living person. Being Memorial Day, we're trying to tie in uh, country and, and love for God. And probably the, the best illustration of that in American history is is a man from Tennessee named Alvin York. He was a corporal. Uh, if you've ever, if you're into old movies, the movie's called Sergeant York, and it tells his life fairly realistically. Of course, there's a little Hollywood stuff put in there. Uh, there has to be. One of the stories I like was in the scene where uh, the actor... Uh, represents uh, Alvin York as he got saved. He didn't want to get on his knees. And Sergeant York was there. And he said, if he doesn't get on his knees, you're not making a movie. And so the director went over to the actor and says, you're getting on your knees. And he said, I'm not doing it. And all the people got around and said, you're going to win an Academy Award. And they convinced him. And and old Gregory Peck got down on his knees. I, I like that part. Uh, you see, 
Alvin York didn't start out a saved, godly individual. He was probably about as worthless a drunken sinner as could be found in the Tennessee mountains at the turn of the last century. In fact, he was full of murder and malice as he rode his mule down those mountain trails on a dark, stormy night. And lightning struck the rifle that he was holding and had intent of murdering a man that had done him wrong. Killed the mule, almost killed him. He woke up in the mud and got up and he heard the songs coming from the church building. God answered his mother's prayers that night. He walked down an old-fashioned altar in an old mountain church and put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he studied his Bible and he found a commandment that said, Thou shalt not kill. And when World War I came up and they began drafting men into the armed services, he filled out paperwork and had his pastor help him fill out paperwork that he would be registered as a conscientious objector because the Bible said, Thou shalt not kill. He was drafted, sent into the service, and fortunately for our sake and his, he had a commanding officer who also believed in the Bible. And he sent Sergeant York, at that time, Private York home with an American history book in one hand and his old Bible in another. And he struggled for three days trying to figure out what, what the answer was. And he found the words of Jesus. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. And he was able to reconcile in his heart and mind, and rightfully so, that he had a duty and an honor and a responsibility to serve his country. And serve it he did. When put into battle, nearly half of his company was killed or wounded in the first few minutes of action. And then Corporal York, on his own accord, killed over 20 enemy soldiers, silenced six machine gun nests, and forced the surrender of 132 prisoners, all by himself. It was an act that is unparalleled in military history. And when his commanding officer, after it was all over, was interrogating him on the battlefield, he said, now I remember we had this conversation and you were willing to die for your country, but you did not tell me you were willing to kill for your country. What changed? He said, well, I saw those men dying and I heard those guns firing. And I realized that if we didn't silence those guns, hundreds, maybe thousands more were going to die. He said, I had to stop those guns. And I did. You see, then his commanding officer said something to this effect. So, you killed the enemy 
to save the lives of your fellow soldiers. You say, well, I guess that's about the best way to put it. You see, you can have faith in God. And you can serve your country. And if we could somehow get this message, we could help a lot of our service people who are suffering from post-traumatic stress and, and all of the trauma that has caused. No human being should have to kill another human being. But if you're going to remain free, that's the price. And the job of the American soldier, the spirit of heroism that we celebrate today, it comes from this book called the Bible. And it's a desire that killing in battle is not out of hatred. It's not out of a desire to kill as all the video games and many of our modern movies make out to be. True patriotism says let's fight the battle and win so that the fewest number of people have to die. On both sides. And if it's possible that all of this killing should be removed as far as it can be from the homes of our loved ones. That's the purpose. Not everybody is able to make that choice. But if you want to know what is going on and why our soldiers are fighting, this is why. They're not going out just because they like to kill people. They're going out because they want the fewest number of people to die that is possible. But in the words of a general in World War II, what do you do with an enemy who is determined to die for his cause? He said you have to let him. You can't stop that kind of fanaticism. But what you can do What happened in Japan after World War II was a generation was trained not to love war and despotism, but to love freedom. And the greatest ally America has in the entire Asian uh, hemisphere is Japan, the country that we destroyed in World War II. You want to study mercy? Study the history there. And that is what God does. And that is the love that is being spoken of here. And if Sergeant York can give that kind of service on a battlefield all those years ago, why can't we get up and go to work on Tuesday morning serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Could we say amen to that? Why could we not understand 
that there is no greater love, verse 13, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That is so very true. But could I challenge you, you don't have to die to necessarily lay down your life for your friends. I believe it was our Lord and Savior. We've been over these verses. He that saveth his life is going to lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall what? Save it. See, if we as God's people would just stop living for ourselves and start living for the Lord Jesus Christ, we'd find it a whole lot easier to love other people. We try that again. You see, Jesus did not want us just to be servants serving their master. Look at what it says here. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Now, if your friend tells you that, if you tell them, I, that price is too high to pay. Because the only character I can trust never to ask anything of me that is not the best is the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? Jesus is the only one that has the right to make that statement. Because he, as God, can only want what's best for you. That's why he wants you, everyone, to be saved. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To lay aside your life and your plans, your hopes, your wishes. Surrender them to Jesus. I'll tell you, you will not regret it. If you actually do it. Read the Old Testament. There were people, the group that came out of Egypt. They got halfway through that wilderness wandering and they said, "Uh, I wish I had the onions and the garlics and the leeks and the fish. And uh, all, all we get is this manna. God was feeding them with the food of angels, the Bible tells us. And they were complaining about it. Do you know that's human nature? It doesn't matter how good it is. We'll always find something to complain about. But can you honestly complain about Jesus Christ? Uh Uh-uh. Can't do it. That's why we need to surrender to Him. Amen? He said, if you keep my commandments, He said, ye are my friends. If ye keep my commandments, if you understand who Jesus is and that he is the only righteous one, that he is God in the flesh, that there is none like him, that he wants what's best for us because as God, he cannot want anything less. I've had people say, well, what are you going to do when those kids of yours grow up and go to the mission fields all over the world? I say, well... I'm going to cry when they leave and praise God that they're being obedient to Him. You say, why? Because they're not mine, they're God's. Every good thing in my life is a gift from God. 
And I can trust him to use that gift a whole lot better than I can trust me. Could we say amen to that? He saved me. August 23rd, 1977. And the only regrets that are in my life are when I wasn't serving him. When he says, you are my friends, if you do whatsoever I have commanded you, I'll tell you what, I want to be Jesus' friend. How about you? Uh, I want to continue in his love. By the way, that's the only way you're going to find joy, is you have to get it from God. And you continue in that joy, and it will fill your life. As we move forward through this verse, he says, henceforth, 15, this passage, I'm sorry, henceforth I call you not servants, For the servant knoweth not what the Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Christianity is not complicated, my friend. Christianity is not super complex to say, Oh, the Bible is such a hard book to understand. Yes, it is if you're a scholar The perplexities the Bible proposes are far beyond your ability to understand. But if you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and just love the Savior and continue in His commandments, you'll have a life of freedom and joy and peace and blessing and let the scholars befuddle themselves with their own scholarship. Could we say amen to that? The Bible is a simple book. Jesus just wants us to hold His hand. And walk with him through this veil of tears until we reach eternity's shore. It starts when you get saved. But it's a decision that you must make every day that I'm going to surrender my will to his will. Amen? Jesus has explained to you. You can read the end of the story. If you want to know what the Bible's about, I can give it to you in one sentence. It's about the glorification of God. And if you're willing to participate, that's where the blessings are. That's where the fulfillment is. That's where the satisfaction of life is found. And and in verse 16 it says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye would go forth and that ye should go and bring forth fruit. You know, Jesus has chosen each of us. And by the way, if you're a Calvinist here today, I feel sorry for you, number one. And and number two, Jesus did not choose any disciple that did not make a choice to willingly follow him. This is not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is Jesus has given us a responsibility. Several weeks ago, we had some uh, many, many hands raised saying, I want God to give me one person to bring with me to church And become a member of the church this year. How many of you remember that? Are you still praying about that? That's the fruit. It's other people. And that fruit should remain simply means that Jesus will save them too. Amen? And it talks about answered prayer that whatsoever ye shall ask the Father... In my name, he may give it to you. Uh, That verse applies 
not to people who want new cars and big bank accounts and, and uh, all these other things that are out there in the world. It applies to those that are keeping His commandments, continuing in His love, because only then will you have the right to ask in Jesus' name. Best illustration, I hope you don't mind hearing it again, is writing out a check. Almost every week, people will write checks and they'll print the name of the church there and they'll put a dollar amount on there and then we count the offering and we take those little pieces of paper to the bank and we say, we want you to put this amount of money from their account into our account. And you know what? bank does it almost every time. And that's a neat thing because we get to pay the bills around here. But if the trustees and I had a special meeting and we started going through the check and adding zeros, well, you wouldn't see us very long. They give us an all-expense-paid trip to Rikers Island. You see, we don't have the right to ask from you what you did not write on the check. Hello? And you don't have the right to ask from God what you want Him to give you. You have the right to ask in Jesus' name what He has promised you in this book called the Bible. Amen? And I'll tell you what. You cannot outgive the Lord. I wouldn't trade what Jesus gives for everything the world offers. Jesus put it this way. What is a man profited if he gained the whole world? And lose his own soul. I'll take Jesus. How about you? These things I command you. That ye love one another. If the world hates you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. Isn't that encouraging? See? But I don't want to be hated by the world. Well, wait a minute. The world hates God. If you have any question about that, just go type in on your computer, news.google.com, and start reading the stories. The world hates In uh, Ireland, they just voted this week to legalize abortion, the murder of unborn babies in the country of Ireland. wonder what the Pope thinks about that. You see, the world hates God. Why do you think evolution is taught in our schools? And if you try to teach anything else, you are a hater. What is this whole thing about global warming? It's proving that man is greater than creation and that man controls creation. And that if man's not careful, he's going to destroy creation. I promise you, not going to happen. I, I read this book and I know what God's going to do with his creation and man is going to have nothing to do with it. We don't have time to chase all the rabbits, but when I was a kid, 
uh, everything was going to freeze. It was global freezing. The sun was going to go out and we were all going to become human icicles and life was going to end. Now it's global warming. And, and, and an asteroid came and set the world on fire and killed all the design, dinosaurs when the Bible tells us that God sent a flood. Now they say, the ice caps are going to melt and we're all going to drown. And the Bible says that the world that now is is going to be destroyed by fire. You know, man just cannot get it right. In fact, he's going to, they're, they're not reading the Bible and making this up. They're looking away from God and away from the Bible. And the only thing they can come up with is foolishness and more foolishness. You know what? Let's try this again. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Is that a hard thing to ask God to help you do? Is to continue in the love that Jesus gave us. Would the world be a better place if we did that? Oh my, wouldn't it? Um, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. If we just did what Jesus told us to do, would you be nicer to other people? You wouldn't have a choice. Would you drive better? You wouldn't have a choice. Would you be kinder to people? Well, if you're continuing in Jesus' commandments, you've got to. You see, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. His love, these things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Do you think that if we just for one moment got one little drop of Jesus' joy that it wouldn't fill you completely to overflowing? How many of us could use a little more joy? Every hand ought to be up. Isn't that true? You see, if we could just get a little of that joy of Jesus in us, it would fill us to overflowing and we'd be so full of joy that we wouldn't be depressed when we turn on the news. Amen? Because our attention would be where it's supposed to be. And it says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. If we could live our lives to reach others with the message of Jesus Christ, I cannot help but believe He would reward us with souls. We need to pray about that. Amen? And we're His friends now. We are His chosen. We have a responsibility, if we're going to be the friend of Christ, to behave that way. That's why we have to love one another. And if we love him, guess what? The world is going to hate us. But if you really had to choose, and you do, 
which one would you rather have? Do you want the love and adoration of a world that hates Jesus Christ and everything about him? Or would you rather have the love of Jesus Christ and the animosity or hatred of a world that already hated Jesus long before you were born? Not much of a choice, my friend. I'll take Jesus. How about you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We 